Today's a good day, and I am excited to be here, one, because I view you guys as family. I love you. I love the chance to worship together. Troy's out this week. I'm filling in, and while it is true to say that I'm excited, I would love to tell you that I'm perfectly comfortable, but I am not. Don't do this very often. My insides feel like a raging sea, and um, I think Beth noticed that this morning when we were getting ready. She offered some words of encouragement. She said, babe, it's going to be fun. Our church loves you. You've done this before. In fact, one time you preached a sermon that was seven minutes long, so it can't be worse than that, right? (laughs) And I thought, well, I'd pump the brakes on that because we only have four verses today. So, yeah. (laughs) But nonetheless, we are jumping back into the book of Hebrews, and I'm excited about that. Um, The last two weeks, we've taken a break from our journey through Hebrews. If you hadn't had a chance to either... Be here with us or listen online. I would encourage you to go back for our mental health series. Uh, I think that was really fantastic. Before we jump into the text, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 4. But before we get there, um, a two-week break, if you're like me, can almost feel like six months as far as retaining information and remembering where we are. So, So just a little bit of context, a little bit of background to where we got here. I think it's important first to remember who the audience of this letter is, okay? I think it makes a lot more sense with this passage if we keep that in mind. This letter was written to a group of Jewish Christians, right? People that are, their background is Judaism. That's what they're used to. Now they're at the point where they have heard the truth of Jesus. Some have either expressed faith in Jesus or contemplating faith in Jesus. And more importantly, they're facing persecution, okay? Persecution to the point that they're wrestling with leaving this profession in Jesus, going back to Judaism. Okay, So that's the context of the letter. And the first really two-thirds of the letter are aimed at who Jesus is. Right? We set this huge foundation. We spent nine chapters on this. Just to look back to name a few. Go all the way back to chapter 1. We see that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. He upholds the universe by His power. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's superior to angels. All that was in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Moving on to chapter 2, we see that Jesus is both the founder of salvation and the source of sanctification. That's in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Then moving on to chapter 3, we see Jesus is greater greater than Moses which is specifically important to the original hearers, contemplating leaving Jesus, going back to Judaism. He's greater than Moses. Moving on to chapters 4 and 8, we see Jesus as the great high priest, high priest whose reign will never end. He's perfect. He's eternal. Okay, After the order of Melchizedek, chapters 4 through 8 are all on that. Go back and look. And then chapter 9, we see that not only is Jesus greater than Moses, not only is he the great, eternal, perfect high priest, but he is now the perfect and eternal sacrifice. All right? So this is the foundation we've set for nine chapters. All right? We've got all of this information. And then in chapter 10, the book really kind of shifts. And we start to see we and us. All right? So the mindset is, if we have all this of who Jesus is, if this is our foundation, now what do we do with that? How do we respond? How do we move forward? So that's where chapter 10 is. Chapter 11, in a similar way, is looking at they, looking back, those who did finish well, who, who were faithful, right? who God did sustain. And then in chapter 12, 
we shift back to the we, okay? So the question specifically with, with all of this we have, this foundation we have of who Jesus is, what are we going to do with it? The specific question I think we're going to ask from this text is, how do we finish well, okay? So we find ourselves in chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. We'll go ahead and read it. In fact, you know what? Y'all stand up. You can be a little bit as uncomfortable as I am. We'll read it together. Okay? <laughs> One through four, let's read it together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. All right, you can go ahead and have a seat. All right, so as we, we start to try and answer this question, how do we finish well? Um, first thing I think we've got to point out, uh, the author gives us this imagery of a race. So we are going to use that some. So if you hate running, you hate the idea of a race, or you're sane like me and you're never going to run a marathon, don't check out. We're not going to hang out there much. But I do think there are enough similarities there when we think about motivation and goal and ups and downs. I think that's kind of what the, the author is getting at. So specifically with this mindset of how to finish well, I think that we can draw five encouragements from this text. How to finish well. First, we're told in chapter 1, look at our surroundings, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Right? And I think this is easy, an easy concept to think about, especially just if we're going to talk about in terms of a race. If you were going to run a race again, I'm not going to do that. You probably aren't either. But if you were, there would be a group of people both at the beginning of the race, maybe some people scattered throughout, some at the end, that would serve as encouragement. It would serve as motivation. But what does that look like spiritually? I think we have to ask the question, why is that motivating for us? Why is it encouraging for us to look at our surroundings, to look at those close to us? I think it speaks to really just how God made us. I think the reality is we were not created to live in isolation. We were not created to live alone. And especially for the readers of this original letter who were in the midst of persecution, it's great encouragement to remember you're not alone. In fact, there's a great crowd of witnesses who's already gone before, who has been faithful. And more than that, God has been faithful. We know this is true all the way to, since the beginning. Think back to Genesis, maybe a year or two, I guess. A year or two ago, we studied through Genesis. Think back to the creation narrative in Genesis 2. We see all that God created. It was good. The land, the sea, it was good. Day and night, it was good. All the living creatures, it was good. But there was one thing that was not good. And it was that man was alone. From the very beginning, we were not intended to endure alone, but rather we have this innate desire inside of us for community, to connect, 
to identify with others. And I think that's what the author is getting at here. In fact, this is not the first time he's given a similar encourage to this. Back a couple of chapters in Hebrews 10, he's encouraging this same group that they're being persecuted, they're thinking about wavering, quitting, leaving. And he said, hey, if you're going to make it, chapter 10, verse 25, don't neglect meeting together. Encourage each other. Be with one another. Why? Because that's how you were created. That was God's intent for you. So if we're going to finish well, if we're going to endure, I think we have to draw on that and remember God has created us for community. And not just that, but specifically when we think back to, I mean, really, he's pointing back to chapter 11. We think back to those who have gone before. We're reminded, yes, we're a part of that faith family, but God's been faithful. God's been faithful, really, since the beginning of all human history. And we're a part of that faith family. He's still faithful now, and he will continue to be faithful. So take encouragement. God is faithful. You are not alone. Moving on in the text, I think the next encouragement we can take when we answer the question, how do we finish well? The text says, let us lay aside every weight, specifically every weight and sin which clings so closely. Right? Now again, if we were in the context of a marathon, right? If I was making a list of all the reasons I'm not going to run a marathon, I think ranking really high up there is what you have to wear when you run one, right? The shirt, I'm okay with. Tank top, got it. Bottom half, shorty shorts, that's just not me, man. God did not create this body for shorty shorts, and I'm okay with that. But here's the thing. If I were going to run a marathon, I would almost have a sense of desperation that my goal was to finish And anything that got in that way is just not important. And if that meant wearing shorty shorts, so be it. What does that mean spiritually? What does shorty shorts mean spiritually? Well, I think it speaks to what our motivation is. And I I think it speaks to where our mindset is. Because just like a runner fixed on enduring and pressing on, the goal is all that matters. And so for believers... I think we need to ask, where is our heart's intent? Where is our mind's focus? How do we even get there? You know, I think we could, the text says it's sin that weighs us down, and I think we could. We could make a list of all the sins that weigh us down and say, oh, man, I struggle with this, I struggle with this, I shouldn't do this. And I I think that's fruitful. I think that's good. And I think we should do that. But apart from kind of reshifting our heart's and mind's focus on eternity, I don't know that how, how much that will sustain us. In order to get there, I think first we have to remember our identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17 reminds us that we are new creations. If you're in Christ, you are new. Right? The things of this world is no longer your identity. You're not marked by that. But new things have come. And more than that, not only are you new, but your destiny is new. This, this earth is no longer your home. In fact, in a couple of weeks when we get to Hebrews 13, 14, we're going to get this verse. Hebrews 13, 14, I love this verse. It says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Another translation puts it this way. For this world is not our home. We are looking forward to our everlasting home. 
So how can we finish well? How can we lay aside the weight of sin that clings closely? I think we have to remember who we are, who our identity is, and what our eternal focus and goal is. I think when we do that, our prayers start to look different. I think our mind starts to look different. In fact, when we are focused on things eternal, when we are reminded of what our identity is, I think we start to echo prayers that we see Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. If you want to write it down, in fact, I think this is just a great prayer to start the day. Whatever that looks like for you, whether it's in the shower or the car, sitting on the couch. David says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I think that's a prayer of someone that's holding loosely to the things of this world, that's willing to say, my my eternal focus is for something greater. When we pray like that, I do think we'll be quick to lay aside the sin that clings close, the sin that weighs us down. But what else? How do we finish well? I think the next thing the verse points to, or this passage points to, tells us to run with endurance. Run the race that is set before us. Another way I thought about this was finding your stride, right? And I think in order to find our stride, we've got to embrace the reality that following Christ Pursuing Him, responding to Him, there is a personal and individual component to this. And I don't want to sound contradictory because I know we started by saying we're a part of a faith family, we're a part of a community, and that's good. And we draw encouragement and we draw strength from that. But if we're going to run with endurance, if we're going to be sustained, there has to be something going on individually in how we pursue the Lord, respond to the Lord, worship the Lord. I wanted to share a, a passage from Luke with you. I'm going to, but I kind of contemplated whether or not because it's a tough passage. But I will say this, if you we're going to read it, if you have more questions than answers, write them down because we're studying Luke next. And when we get to chapter 14, if Troy calls me, I'm not going to answer. I'm going to let him teach through this. So, but, but I do think there are two really important things that Jesus says here that speak to not only what we just talked about, our eternal focus, this world not being our home, and also this personal individual aspect of following him. This is what Jesus says in that text. All right, great crowds had accompanying, accompanying Jesus. They were following him. They wanted to hang on and to listen to everything he was teaching. And this is what he said to him. Listen to this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, and brothers, and sisters, and yet even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Again, I get it. That's a tough passage. But I I do think there's two really important things that Jesus is saying there that are absolutely true. It's a reminder yet again, this world is not our home. And two, the response to him is not mama's response. It's not your spouse's response. It's personal. It's individual. And it has to be marked by something inside of you. What does that look like? How do we find our stride? How do we embrace this personal response to run with endurance? Well, I think this speaks to two things, both spiritual disciplines and spiritual gifts. As far as spiritual disciplines, the reality is God has made us all different, 
unique. There are certain things that just make your heart just explode with worship. Whether it's reading a commentary, whether it's that points you to the scriptures, helps you better understand them, praying a certain way, responding in music. And, and you know what? All of us are different. There are some things that are just going to really speak to you and point you to Christ and others just kind of right over the head. I think a, um, a good example of this is the difference in mine and Beth's taste in worship music. Um, I'll just tell you a little secret. When she gets ready in the morning, one of her favorite things to do is to put on worship music. Um, that time in the morning where ladies, you do whatever it is, make up hair, change four times, I, I don't know. Um, she, she'll cast music from her phone to the TV, which is really cool because I don't even know how to do that. But she has it on the TV. You can hear it throughout the whole house. And it's great because while she's getting ready, she's worshiping, she's singing. And sometimes there's some great songs in there. There's some Shane and Shane in there. And then other times I'll hear a song and I think, you know, it, biblically this is sound. They're not saying anything that's not true. They're pointing to Jesus, but I just don't like this song. In fact, I kind of hope Andrew never picks it on a Sunday. But you know what? That's okay. And that's okay. Because if the song she wanted to listen to, if the way that she prayed, the way that she studied Scripture was exactly the way that I do those things, that may not be her stride and it may not just push her forward. That's okay. Because God has made us different. Embrace that. So we journey through spiritual disciplines. Also, I mentioned spiritual gifts, and I think now is a perfect time to point this out. If you've never had a chance to take a spiritual gifts class or a survey, I'm giving a breaking announcement coming soon. Safe Haven will be offering a spiritual gifts class. If you haven't had a chance to meet Miss Barb, she's sitting in the back. Uh, she's going to lead a spiritual gifts class. I would encourage all of you to, uh, to take that, to see how God has uniquely crafted you and designed you to serve the body, to be fulfilled in that way. And also, just complete shameless plug, whatever, whatever your spiritual gift is, I think it probably is helping serve in K-Camp, which starts this Tuesday. Uh, yes, my wife is the children's minister, and I do not feel bad for saying that. But, but no, um, find your stride. Find how God has created you to both worship Him, pursue Him, serve Him, even if that's different than those around you. How do you finish well? I think the next thing the text leads us to is in verse 2. Let's look at it together. So we've hit remembering our surrounding. We've been encouraged to lay aside every weight. We've been told to run with endurance. And then verse 2. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. You know, if I'm being honest, even though this comes later in the text, I really think this is the linchpin of this entire conversation. Right? Even in the verse, we're told, Jesus is both the founder and the perfecter. So when we are asking the question, how do we endure? How do we persevere? How do we finish well? If Christ is not the central point of that, if that's not the linchpin of this conversation, I don't think we will finish well. Because the reality is, if, if the passage ended at verse 1 and we were just told, hey, remember you're a part of a community and we could do that perfectly. Lay aside weight and sin and we could 
make the checklist and just kill it and do that awesome. If we could find our stride and run with endurance and we did that awesome, the reality is there really wouldn't be a need for Jesus to have even come. But that's the beauty of the gospel. No matter how great community is, you're still going to battle with feeling alone at times. No matter how hard we try, the pleasures and the comforts of this world often distract us, weigh us down. And even when we try to run with endurance, we struggle with that too. And what's the answer, believer? What is the hope? Look to Jesus. He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. I think we see a similar encouragement in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6. Interestingly enough to me, this letter was written to a group of people who were facing persecution to the point of leaving the faith. Paul, when he writes his letter to the church in Philippi, he is actually experiencing persecution. He's in prison when he writes this, and this is what Paul says. Hey, be encouraged. Why? Because he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Right? This conversation of finishing well, it both begins and ends with Jesus. And when we talk about thinking on Jesus, remembering Jesus, I think the deep encouragement is that he's not distant and far off. He's not unable to sympathize with us, to relate with us, whatever the the trials, the temptations, the battles we face are. In fact, we've already covered this in Hebrews 4. If you go back to Hebrews 4, chapter 15 and 16, I love this verse. It says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help of time with need. So how do we finish well? Believer, look to Jesus. Be encouraged. He is both the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And I think the last thing from the text that we look at, when we do look to Jesus, I think we are reminded that not only his time on earth, his ministry, his journey was marked by this almost weird connection of both joy and suffering. That's just going to be a part of our story too. In fact, here in the text, you can't really separate the two. You can't really have one without the other. In fact, look what it says. Why did Jesus endure the cross? Why did he endure suffering? It was for the joy that was set before him. Why did he Endured the despise, the shame. Why did he endure from sinners hostility against himself? So we, not, we, so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You know, we spent the last two weeks talking about joy, right? And I think one of the things that that I took from that that was really interesting was the reality is that joy was just God's design. Right? That, that was it. That's what the Garden of Eden was. It was perfect, complete, never-ending joy. There was no worry. There was no fear. There was no doubt. And yet, when sin entered the world, 
Not only did we now need a remedy for that sin, but that joy that God created became almost twisted and distorted. And so from that point on, Jesus was on a path straight to suffering, straight to the cross, to forgive sin, to be the sacrifice, the payment for sin, absolutely. But to redeem joy, yes, of course. I think it would be easy for us when we have this conversation about both joy and suffering, understanding that that was just a reality of Christ's time on earth. And for the believer, it is a reality for us, that for those that follow. I think it's easy for us in that moment to question, to uh, fear, to doubt, to ask questions like, God, where are you? What are you doing? I think we see this in Psalm chapter 73. We don't have time to read the whole chapter, but I'd encourage you to go back and read it because I think David starts with this this question, right? In the midst of suffering, God, where are you? What are you doing? And the Lord graciously turns his heart back to remembering his goodness. The, the, The chapter starts like this. David said, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. But you know the truth is, unfortunately for those not in Christ, this world is as good as it gets. There is no hope of future eternal joy. And I think the Lord graciously reminded David of that because listen how the chapter ends. Right? That's how it started. This is how it ends. Nevertheless, he says, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion Forever. I think that uh, reminder of who God is, who He has always been, and His faithfulness is really how um, this passage ends. Verse 3 Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. And then speaking to our suffering in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Or I think maybe a better way to say that is suffering, yes. But you haven't endured the cross. And praise God because of Jesus, you won't. So for the believer, we started with the question of how do we finish well? So we'll end with that question. How do we finish well? I think first... Look around. Remember, you are a part of a faith family that has lasted long before you and will continue long after you. Take encouragement by that. And know that God is just as faithful right now in this moment as He has always been and He always will be.
Be encouraged, believer. Not only that, in our lives, let our minds be focused on eternity. Let us have this eternal gaze. And when we do, when we're reminded of our identity, when we know wholeheartedly that this world is not our home, but it's temporary, but we have a promised hope to come, and the weights of this world they'll just seem less and less important. Remember that, believer. How do we run well? Finish well? Let us run with endurance. Let us embrace how God has specifically and uniquely designed us to both personally pursue Him and worship Him. Find your stride. Know how God created you to respond to Him. Find that and do it. And above all, look to Jesus. Be remember. Remember and take heart that he is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And in all of that, while we are thankful for Jesus' suffering, which brought us joy, let us also endure the suffering of this world while we eagerly wait for his return. Let's finish well, believer. Amen. Benji, you can come on back up. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to respond in worship. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this text. Thank you for this faith family. More than all, more than anything, God, thank you that I just trust you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will uh, continue to illuminate the scriptures as you lead us through it. And that our response will be to walk more closely with you more than anything. Everything that we pray, everything that we read, everything that we sing, I pray that it will be completely and solely focused on you, Jesus, and I pray that you will be honored and glorified. We love you.